If you think you're having a hard time navigating vaginal dryness, painful sex, insomnia, and hot flashes, I can guarantee that if there's a man in your life, he's also having a hard time because more likely than not, he is completely in the dark about why you're having these symptoms and what he can be doing to help. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. When it comes to menopause, midlife, and what comes after, I'm betting you've not got a lot of information from your own doctor. If women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information. A few months ago, my husband and I were talking about doing an episode called Men on Pause. The idea was to put together a group of guys who wanted to understand what was going on with women they loved that had made them seem, well, a lot less lovable. And we were still planning on doing it. But when Rachel Hughes asked me to be a guest on her podcast, Perimenopause WTF, to talk about things men should know about perimenopause, I thought, yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I love Rachel's podcast, but also because it occurred to me that this would be a great episode to start with before doing my Men on Pause segments. So I asked Rachel if I could use the segment as a prequel to my Men on Pause episode. So what you're about to hear is a live webinar that originally aired on the Perry site. Perry, that's P-E-R-R-Y, is a huge community of perimenopausal women. HeyPerry.com is the URL. So on to the five things the men in your life need to know about perimenopause, hosted by Rachel Hughes and originally aired on Perimenopause WTF. Hi, Rachel. This is Emily. I just had what I think is a brilliant idea for a podcast episode, an episode directed towards the men in our lives. I'm thinking specifically of my husband about menopause and perimenopause and just explain it to them. He's a guy. And I think if I say to him, hey, weight gain is really common in perimenopausal women, my sleeplessness, just be really great if someone could lay it out to the men in our lives. Welcome to our Perimenopause What the F podcast. And now let's dive right in. Welcome to the Perry community, Dr. Stryker. When I sat down to prepare for this call, there was a large part of me that felt, why are we even talking about this? They should know already. You know, how, why, why is it up to us to inform the men in our lives? But that's absurd. Whatever and whomever our relationships are with, they, those people cannot and should not be responsible for reading our minds. I'm imagining this scenario where maybe a couple comes into your office and the, the woman says, I'm feeling this, this, and this. And she, she ticks off a whole bunch of symptoms and you think immediately, well, she's in perimenopause and he might be at loss, maybe be rolling his eyes, like whatever the emotions are, where do you begin? Well, let me start with a different scenario because the scenario that you just painted for us is actually not typical. I would say that well over 90% of the women that have come to see me for a consultation about menopause have come on their own. Mm -hmm. The real scenario is when I am with my husband and he is surrounded by men who are plying him with questions. 
He is not a gynecologist. He is not a doctor, but they know that he's living with an expert and they know that he has been to every one of my lectures and that he is a surrogate me. So I hear from my husband all of the questions that these guys are asking. And that's really my window into what's going on with these guys. What do they really want to know? What are they curious about? And what, and what do they know? And what don't they know? And in defense of guys, when you talk about, you know, how is it that they don't know this stuff? The women don't know this stuff. And many doctors don't know this stuff. So I don't fault men for not knowing. What I applaud are the men that want to know, are the men that say, boy, something, you're, you're not the same woman you were a year ago or two years ago, and I would like to better appreciate what's going on so we can be on this journey together. That's what makes me stand up and say thank you, not kind of putting them down for saying, how come you don't know this yeah. stuff? Like, what's yeah. wrong with you? That's the point of view we need to take because people are educating themselves across the board on this. So let's help out the guys. Because if you think the women don't have access to good information, well, I can promise you that the guys do not. And and one thing that's interesting that really made me appreciate this is I, I have a YouTube channel and on which is uh, Dr. Stryker TV. And I have you know, probably two, 300 videos up there. And a few years ago, I put up a video that I almost didn't put up. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you just think, oh, come on, you don't want to win insult people's intelligence. And this just seems so silly. But I thought, well, I'll throw it up there and see what happens. And the video was maybe a five minute video on how to use a vaginal lubricant. Now, keep in mind, this was not a video on which lubricant to use. What are the best lubricants? This was how to use a lubricant. So we're talking like you open the bottle, Mm -hmm. you squeeze it on your fingers, Mm -hmm. you put it on the penis, you put it at the opening of the vagina, more views than any other video I have ever put up there. But when I look at the analytics, it was like 90% guys that were saying, okay, I know I'm supposed to use a lubricant, but I don't know what to do with it. Where do I put it? When do I use it? So even the simplest things are meaningful. And when you talk about five things, I mean, I can come up with 500 things, but certainly at the top of the list is really understanding lubricants, not only how to use them, but, but which ones to use. And I always tell guys, you know, if you want to be the guy on Valentine's Day, don't show up with flowers and don't show up with chocolates. (laughs) Show up with a really great lubricant or maybe a lubricant warmer and you will be the best guy ever for having thought of that. So, so what do guys need to know about lubricants? First of all, it is normal, 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 normal for a woman to need a lubricant when she is peri and postmenopausal, not just to make sex pleasurable, but to make sex possible. And that's a paradigm shift right there, because a lot of people, even who are young, will use lubricants because they they just think, well, you know, it's going to make it a little more fun or a little more slippery. But when we're talking pairing postmenopause, it's not optional. So you don't start by, let's see how it goes. And then if we need it, we'll use a lube. It's no, I'm going to be at the ready with the lube. So how are you at the ready with the lube? Well, first of all, you have to buy the right lube. You're not just going to go down to the kitchen and get some coconut oil. You're going to go to the store or online 
And you're going to get a silicone lube because the silicone lubes are not only the most slippery, but they're the ones that are going to be the least bothersome to women because we know that a lot of the water-based lubes are very irritating. They can actually dry out the tissue. So I'm going to make it real easy for the guys. Don't even think about like, there's so many lubes out there. And also, by the way, when you put lube in your search engine, be sure and put vaginal lube. Otherwise, you're going to get something for your carburetor. Right. So, so you want to put vaginal lubricant, silicone. Any one of them is going to be great. And then automatically you're going to take that lube and you are going to not scrimp on it. You are going to use a lot of lube and you're going to put it all over your fingers and you're going to apply it to your penis and you are going to put it all around the opening of her vagina and you are going to have it at the bedside ready to reapply. And if you really want to go over the top, you're going to make sure that lube is nice and warm because who likes cold stuff on their genitals? You don't want cold lube on your penis any more than she wants cold lube on her vulva or in her vagina. So you can warm it by throwing it in in a warm bath in the sink. If you're a planner, you know, you can do that a little bit in advance or you can bring for a lube warmer and there's a number of them out there. Some you can put the lube of your choice in it and some you have to buy the lube that, that comes with it. But the point is, is have the lube, be ready with it and don't wait for her to ask. Don't wait for her to say, you know, I'm dry. It hurts. I need, I need some lube. And, and, and while we're on the subject of hurting, if despite the lube, she's still having pain. And even if she says, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, Keep going. Yeah. Don't. Don't. Stop. Sure. Stop. Mm-hmm. Because what's going to happen is not only is it going to be an unpleasant experience for her and why do you want to cause this person you care about pain, but by pushing through, it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse because then her muscles are going to tighten up. So sometimes intercourse has to be off the table and you can have as much sex as you want, but it's just not penetrative sex. You know, you turn to other things right. and then, and then she needs to get to see someone who can help her to get rid of the pain because pain is never okay in spite of the fact that she might say it's okay because she wants okay. to please you. Yeah, we yeah, all, all get into that. our heads about, well, I don't want to sabotage this sexual encounter because that might sabotage the relationship and I don't want him to be unhappy and I love him, so I'm going to let him do this. You have to get past that and say, we're in this together and let's figure out how to have a pain-free, mutually pleasurable experience. Just to circle back for a moment, I. So appreciate your pointing out from the beginning that we can't expect anyone to know anything that's going on with us. And it's easy to take for granted that people might know everything because we are sharing so much with each other. And we're sort of stepping through this feeling like, oh, I've learned this. I've learned that. I understand this. I understand that. We can't make those assumptions about our... No, and in fact, in, in my work over the last, you know, many years... And obviously, like you, I'm always talking to audiences. I'm always talking to women that this may be their first time joining. And you forget all these things that we talk about again and again and again. This is news for so many people. And and to your point about physicians not knowing this stuff, they don't. They don't. You would think that they do. So often women will go to their doctors expecting them to be an expert. Then they might be a really, really, really good doctor and have delivered your babies and done your hysterectomy and and all of this. But that doesn't mean they're a menopause expert. And Sometimes you just need to seek someone out. Okay, before we get into some of the questions that I have, is there a second thing on your list that the men in your life you would want to know? This is number two, and this is a big one. A vibrator is not a reflection on a man's inability to please a woman. It's a reflection on his ability to want to please her. Mm. So it's not about his inability. It's about his ability 
ability. It's saying in order for you to have an orgasm, because the nerve endings in your clitoris are not as sensitive as when they were 20, that's going to take some stimulation with a vibrator. And therefore, we are going to, again, this is the overall theme that we started with is being a mutually pleasurable experience. So in order for this to be a mutually pleasurable experience, a vibrator is the tool. And I actually don't use the word toy. I use tool because a toy is something that makes it more fun, right? But a tool is something that you really need in order to get where you need to go. So a vibrator is the tool that men should have along with that nice bottle of warm lube that we talked about, which is there to please her because that's going to make everyone's experience much better, much better. Terrific. Three. Okay. The fact that she doesn't want to have sex, it's not about you. (laughs) It's not about you. It's that she hasn't slept a decent eight hours and too long to remember. She's exhausted and sex hurts like hell. So if she is cleaning out the linen closet at 11 o'clock when you're in bed waiting for her, it's not because she doesn't love you. It's not because she doesn't like you. It's not because she's not attracted to you. She's in avoidance mode because of other reasons. We all do this. We all get hurt. We all think, oh, you know, maybe it's because he or she doesn't like me or isn't interested in me. And it just isn't attracted to me anymore. That might be the case. I'm not saying it's never the case, but it may very well be because she's just avoiding because sex is no longer pleasurable. And I received a question from a man who said, what can I do about her lack of desire and my unchanged desire? It's a problem, to be honest. I thought about all of the things that weigh in and I so appreciate sort of where you're landing and addressing these things. Overlapping that is, I think, what you just touched on this. Maybe it is you. Maybe the relationship has changed. Maybe she's in a different place. All of that other stuff. There are ways to make things better. This is a couple who want desire, want want to remain together. Um, But I, I will say that this is... This is one comment of a few that I got where a man was just sort of like, we're in two different places here. Yeah. Desire discrepancy is probably the number one sexual complaint that we see post-menopause. And unlike painful sex, which is actually kind of straightforward when it comes to my world, but okay, Mm. someone comes in, they're having pain. And after I do my exam and talk to her 99% of the time, I can fix that. I can see what the problem is, whether it's, you know, tight pelvic floor muscles or whether it's skin changes or whether it's vaginal dryness. These are all things that I can fix. Libido, desire is in a completely different category. And that's because it is so multifactorial. Mm -hmm. There is no way that you can say there's only one thing because the impact of all the psychosocial things that what is the relationship dynamic? What are the past experiences have been? What's been going on with in their world with stress? And then we get into the physical things. Is sex no longer pleasurable? Midlife, people also have other medical situations that may impact. So as an example, a lot of people are taking antidepressants or taking SSRIs or another medication. Maybe that's killed desire. Sure. Maybe it's that there's a, a medical condition like diabetes or cardiovascular disease. Heart disease in women just explodes at this time. And a lot of women who've been diagnosed with a cardiac problem, even if they've been told it's okay to have sex, they're afraid. So the mm-hmm. point is, in answer to this Excellent question, which is probably one of the number one questions we get is there are solutions 
but it's not an necessarily an easy solution. And it starts with a conversation. Listen, I love you. I desire you. I sense that your desire is not the same. And I would like to better understand why. Well, we have sex. Are you having pleasure? Are you having any pain? Are you able to have an orgasm? Let's just start with that. Because people generally don't desire things that are not pleasurable. Well, when did it change? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. important too. Sometimes it's a very gradual thing. Sometimes it's something abrupt. But really, you don't want to put the onus on the man for having to figure this out. But you can certainly, by starting with the conversation, you let her know that, first of all, you care. You appreciate the fact that there are a lot of things that might be getting in the way of libido. And then you can figure out, is this something that she needs to see a physician who can help her? Is this something that a sex therapist would be able to address in terms of their relationship, in terms of other stressors? So it's not always straightforward, but it is certainly solvable. Okay. Is there a fourth that comes to mind, Dr. Stryker? The fourth thing is those hot flashes are real. If she's throwing off all of her clothes and getting up in the middle of the night to to take off her pajamas, don't be dismissive. Don't like do the rolly eye thing. Um, these hot flashes are not just a minor nuisance from, you know, I mean, like everything else, there's, there's a range. And for some women, it is no big deal. It's they get a little warm, they take off their shirt, they're fine. Other people... It is just devastating. Yeah. It's all day. It's all night. It's soaking their clothes. And these hot flashes, and women need to appreciate this too. Hot flashes, it's not just about quality of life. It's also about length of life. We know that these right. hot flashes impact on cardiovascular disease, on bone health, on cognitive function, on all of that. It's not something that a guy should just dismiss and say, what's the big deal? It's a I, very big deal. It's a very big deal. I'm 53 now. I'm still perimenopausal, but I didn't start hot flashing until about the last year. And I thought for sure I've skated that horrible thing. And they came on like an unbelievable wave. And it was hot flashing during the day, night sweats in the evening. It was awful. And it, it's so beyond sort of feeling these waves of heat. It's, a miserable experience and really hard to describe to somebody who hasn't had it. So I so appreciate your sort of highlighting the fact that they are indeed real and carry serious consequences potentially. If I might just interject here, someone wrote two questions and this second part of his question, I think slips in nicely here. He said, I don't know if I believe everything all the time. It's like, how can everything be going wrong? And then she accuses me of not believing her. So, so this is maybe again, sort of speaks to the, you know, the nature of people, the nature of the relationship, all kinds of dynamics. But if you could just sort of hover around this idea of hot flashing being real and sort of the, the, the all of it being real. If she's experiencing it, it's real. It's happening to her. Um, is it necessarily a consequence of menopause? Maybe, but maybe not. So you don't dismiss what she's saying. You don't dismiss what she's feeling. The real response is if you're feeling that way, we need to figure out why. Right. And get you to feel better. 
Right. And, 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 and along those same lines, there's this idea, which makes me crazy. I'm sure it makes you crazy too, is that the tough it out approach. Well, right. you know what? This is just a normal thing and this is going to go away soon. So hang in there. It'll be over soon. And we know that for the majority of women, and it varies by ethnicity and, and race, but we know the majority of women, hot flashes last on average seven to 10 years. And vaginal dryness, if untreated, is forever until death. So this idea, I mean, when people say I'm done with menopause, you are never done with menopause. You might be done with your hot flashes, but you're never done with menopause. And we know that estrogen affects every single cell in the body. So this is not like, oh, just tough it out, honey. It's no big deal. It's natural. Or to say something like, you know, my mother didn't, it wasn't a big deal to her or my grandmother. Well, first of all, they didn't live as long. They weren't going to work every day and doing all the things that women are doing midlife now. And and they didn't talk about it. Yeah, I was going to say, and likely didn't discuss it with you at all. Right. So just the idea is when he says, I don't know what's real, it's all real. You just have to figure out. Yeah. What's yeah. causing it? Yeah. Great. Something else that comes to mind for you. We're up to number five if we're counting. If we're really sticking to the count. All right. Let's let's talk about body changes. Okay. okay. <laughs> let's do that. Yes. Because when we think about things that are the most upsetting to women, certainly there are things like I can't sleep and I'm having vaginal dryness and you know, the recurrent urinary tract infections and all that. But I cannot tell you how many women would come to the menopause clinic for no other reason than they were distressed about their weight mm. or the change in their body with their new muffin top. And the only thing that makes it worse when there are these snide comments like, why are you having that muffin? You know? Yeah. yeah. First of all, it's not like not like his body's so great at this point. Sure. I mean, most men have changes that are less than fabulous, but they are expecting the women in their lives to have the same bodies when they were 20. And we're not even talking about the impact of childbirth, childbirth and other yeah. things. But, but mm-hmm. just in terms of menopause itself, there is going to be a redistribution of weight so that even if, even if a woman doesn't gain a pound, her body will change. That's just the way it is. And that's something that has to be expected and acknowledged and is not going to detract from her being sexy and feeling good about herself. If there's a lot going on in terms of body changes, like everything else, that's something you have the conversation. I adore you. I'm still attracted to you. Those new love handles, hey, bring them on. It's great. I brought you this beautiful new lingerie that drapes over your hips if you're feeling uncomfortable about it. That's all okay. Quite frankly, the guys are having a lot of the same issues. And and that needs to be addressed as a couple. That's kind of a loving thing to do. If, If your loved one developed heart disease or diabetes, You'd be there for them and help yeah. them through that. And yeah. someone yeah. who is struggling with with weight, the body changes that occur in menopause, accept them, love them, embrace them, and let her know that if your body has changed or your breasts are droopier and your hips right. are bigger, that, that that doesn't change my attraction to you. As an aside, I did a, a survey some years ago biggest bedroom deal breakers. And I did one for the men and one for the women. I should really publish this stuff. I never have because it's like, oh, you should. You know, I just thought I should do a podcast episode on it. I mean, I asked like 20 questions to each in terms of the, what are the biggest bedroom deal breakers? So I'm going to ask you, guess when it came to the men, what was the biggest bedroom deal breaker when it comes to women? You know, what was it that they would notice in a woman that would just make them want to go run for the hills. 
This is a good question. I don't feel like there's much that would make a man go run for the hills that they would notice from a woman. But if there was a number one thing, um, I'll, I'll help you out on this. Yeah, it was, do. It was not cellulite. It was not droopy breasts. It was not a big tush. It was not any of the things that women yeah, sit there women and like beat about. themselves up about. Yeah. It was not it, any of those typical things. What What was it? Hygiene. Oh, hygiene. Take a shower, ladies. Yeah. You know, take some time to take a shower, put on a little perfume. Sure. You know, that's what men wanted. They because part of it is is this idea of if she goes through the trouble to take a shower and put on some nice smelling oil or whatever, that's very erotic and it's sending a message of I'm interested, I care, I want you to approach Interesting. me. So hygiene was number one. Number two, number two was women who were not responsive in bed, meaning mm. that she's just lying there silent. Mm-hmm. Men want a partner who is going to, in if, if he's doing the right thing, let him know he's doing let the right know. thing with the sure. noises you're making. And if he's not doing sure. the right thing, you should still also be in a positive, helpful way. Yeah, you know, It would really feel good if you did this. Not don't yeah. do this. Yeah, my daughter's a sex therapist. So she's we do a lot of stuff together. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and she's amazing. We, she just did a... um. A podcast with me on faking orgasm, which was really fun. Oh, I got to talk to her. So she's really good at helping me out with the language. You know, you never say to a guy, oh, my God, you think that feels good? My clitoris is like a mile away. You know, you don't you don't do that. It's the (laughs) you know what would really feel good. Yeah, we took this vibrator while you're inside me and and I held it on my clitoris. You know, it should all be a very positive. Positive. Yeah. Talking to the guy. That's what men want. They are not all in their heads about her thighs are bigger than they used to be and her belly's a little poochy. Believe me, yeah. they want yeah. someone who's responsive, who's willing, who's interested, and who smells good. And on the flip side, what did you discover or learn about the 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 two number one things for women? Streaks on his underwear, I'm just saying. <laughs> Really? Which comes down nice. to hygiene, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's because a lot of times the women are doing the laundry. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'm not gonna sleep with this guy. <laughs> but you know, most of the stuff came down to hygiene as well. It was icky nails, teeth yeah. that are not white anymore. Whiten your teeth, guys, makes big difference. Mm-hmm. And and things like that. And and of course, you know that they're loving and kind and sure. more so from the women, but it it wasn't so much, again, body parts. Right. You know, I, I'm not attracted to him because his belly's big. So make sure you wipe really well. Wipe well. Whoa, take oh, a boy. shower. I don't want to. Are you now sorry you asked that question? I am, I am, I'm, I'm a little, I'm always, a, I'm amazed at stuff that goes on that, you know, I'm, I, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one to wrap your mind around. Okay, yeah. I'm going to pivot for a moment to a couple of the other questions because I think they they fit so well here. Th- the first part of the last person's question was, I feel like at any given time, I might walk in the room and everything is normal. And then in an instant, my wife is angry or short with me or crying. And I'm like, what the F just happened? I don't know if it's me. Or what? Now, this is a, you know, sort of not so much speaking to the sexual aspect of what's happening, but some of the other stuff. And if I can just piggyback off of that before I I turn it over to you, 
I have a good friend who when she when she was probably in perimenopause and she had had really tough periods her whole life. She had tough pregnancies. Not just the physical part was difficult, but really, really the mental, emotional part was yeah, very yeah. difficult for her. And she ended up going through a divorce. And one of the things I never forgot that um, she heard from her ex-husband was your your cycles are so hard and so dramatic and whatever it is that's going yeah. on with you now in retrospect it was perimenopause but he yeah. offered that whatever it is going on with you now it's like a wave at any given time it was really really a tough thing so yeah. could you speak well, to that well certainly we know that that hormones have an enormous impact on emotional ability and mood. A lot of times cognitive function and mood get lumped together mm. and they're not the same thing. You know, both things are impacted in menopause. Cognitive function are things like word recall, memory, high level functioning, things like that. And mood, of course, are things like I'm weepy, I'm sad, I'm feeling depressed um, and I'm snapping in, in appropriate moments. And while he feels like things have changed instantly, there's been a lot that was going on before he saw the result of this. So, so why does this happen? Well, again, it's kind of like libido. This is multifactorial. There's a nine gazillion things that can go under the heading of why she was snapping at him, including maybe he had streaks on his underwear. I don't know. That would be one. That would be one. And she started doing the laundry. But, but seriously, from just a, a, a perimenopause and menopause point of view, let's just talk about sleep for a minute. Mm -hmm. If you take oh, any human being and they are sleep deprived night after night after night, there's going to be an enormous impact on mood and emotional lability. Say that to any guy, try that trick and see how you do on three hours of sleep. Sure. And too often women are functioning on such fragmented, poor sleep as a result of hot flashes, sleep apnea, which increases at, at, at menopause, restless leg syndrome, and then just stress about aging, my life, what's going on with my sex life, relationship. I mean, there's a lot to keep women tossing and turning all night. And then they're trying to function the next day. And he walks in the room and thinks everything is just fine. And it's not going to take much for her just to release all of that frustration. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is even if someone is sleeping, we know that these hormonal surges can cause people to have emotional ability. That's part of it. So I'll say the same thing about her lack of libido is not necessarily a reflection on you. It might be, but it's not necessarily. It may just be a consequence of her own frustration. And it's almost like whose body is this? Whose emotions mm -hmm. out of this? This out of control feeling. And these are the kinds of things, of course, that if it is a direct result of these hormonal issues. This is where hormone therapy comes in. You know, people are right. so afraid of hormone therapy. And I'm sure my message is the same as yours, is that hormone therapy is the safest, most effective way to not only deal with hot flashes, but also mood, cognitive function. And we're not even you know talking about bone health and genital health sure. and bladder health and all that. But, but I think people don't think about it in terms of the emotional stuff. You know, again, it's this mindset of, I can do this. I can tough it out. I can be nice to my husband. I'm not going to lash out at him. When in fact, 
what really needs to be is, you know, a little bit of hormone help. And I always say, if it was the guys that went through this, Mm -hmm. there would be no controversy about testosterone. They would be lining up at the pharmacy if their testicles completely shut down. I'm talking completely shut down. So they were making a drop of testosterone and they were flashing. It's like a guy who gets treated for prostate cancer. You know, they can't wait to get their testosterone back because they're so miserable. Right. And but yet women are expected to put up with it. Finally, another gentleman wrote in. He said, this is really, really hard. It's hard to keep my chin up. She's miserable and I want to help. I want to support, but it's tough. I really appreciated this gentleman's sentiment. And I think to your point earlier in the conversation, there are unions here. There are men here in the world, whether we they are coupled or or not, who want to love and support and help. How do we sort of start to give language to broaching the conversation? This is why I started to write my books. I mean, exactly. You know, because as as you well know, there's a lot of information out there. Most of it is not good information, and it's very hard for people to know what's good and what's not good. And this last series of books that I wrote, the the menopause books, the first one you mentioned is about uh, slip sliding away, which is not only the changes that occur vaginally, but also in the urinary tract. And then the second book is Half Flash Hell. My third book, which I am really, really, really trying to get out within the next six months, is about libido and orgasm specifically and what happens to postmenopause orgasm. And there's nothing like that out there right now. I would tell the men that they should do the same thing women should do. And that's start by educating yourself. That's why I wrote my books so that people can say, okay, our Mm -hmm. issue is hot flashes. Our issue is vaginal dryness. My books were written in a way that they're like a series of short articles. You know what I mean? This is not a lot of the books that are out there. Even some of the good ones are encyclopedias. It's like overwhelming. And mine are all written so that each chapter is quite frankly, a standalone chapter. If you want to read the chapter on lubricants, you don't need to read the rest of the book. And quite frankly, not only are you educating yourself, but the message that you are sending to the woman in your life is, I care, I want to help you, and this is how we're going to start by educating ourselves. And then it comes to finding the right clinician. I mean, that's, right. again, the challenge because you know you can't just say to her, go to your doctor and get some help already because chances are, even if she has, that doctor likely wasn't very helpful. So you help in terms of let's find someone who can help you. And fortunately with telehealth, sometimes you can manage that if you live someplace that you don't have access to someone. We know that the North American Menopause Society, now known as the Menopause Society, has a listing of clinicians by zip code, which is is very helpful. And some of the telehealth companies, some of them are quite frankly just online pharmacies and they're not very helpful. But some of these telehealth companies are really pretty good at, hey, no, we're actually going to have a conversation with you and, and find out what's going on and help you. The first step in this journey is to learn the language and to educate yourself about what's happening and whether you listen to podcasts together or whether you read a book, that's something that that you should both be doing instead of just kind of scratching your head and saying, boy, this is all mystery yeah, to me. This is really devolving. And you know, it's funny, yeah. we started off talking about, you know, what's a typical scenario. And I mentioned that my husband, who's not a doctor, gets surrounded by men at cocktail parties who are asking all these questions and he just starts giving out books. You know, he's just Fantastic. like, you know what, you really need, you really need to read this because this will really help you. 
Um, you know, you come to my house for dinner, you're likely going to walk out with a book in your hand. <laughs> That's awesome. But the way that that we start not only the conversation going, but the right conversation. Yeah. Lastly, each of the comments had a tone of sort of like, oh, I know he doesn't mean it or, oh, it's really not a big deal. But how do I address the joking, the making light or the making fun of what's going on with me? I think you were reading my mind because that was mm. number five on my Ooh. list. Great. Was don't don't make jokes. Don't, make, don't jokes. make jokes. And first of all, when a guy makes a joke, he means well. Mm. He's not making a joke, I think, in most cases, I hope in most cases, not to be mean, not to make her feel badly, but because he doesn't know what else to do. Right. And he doesn't know what else to say. So he makes a joke about it, which is also a way of let's not talk about it. You know, just mm -hmm. ha ha, let's make a joke. So don't make a joke because it's not funny. Can you imagine if you can get an erection and she started making jokes about it? I mean, Absolutely. Really? Such a good point. I, mean, I mean, that's the way to shut down the conversation right there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's game over. If there was any hope of him getting an erection, it's over now. You know? <laughs> but she's yeah. like, what? You call that a penis? You know, I mean, this, it's not something that you joke about. Yeah. And if you make a joke, she might kind of chuckle or laugh along with it because she just doesn't you know, how, know how else to respond. But it's not funny. Dr. Stryker, you said in the beginning there were 500 things, right? And coming up with five is, is not so easy. Is there anything else that comes to mind that you sort of really want to bring to the fore? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of said this before, but I really need to, to emphasize it again, is that there are solutions. Mm -hmm. This idea of, okay, the woman that I fell in love with five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, isn't here anymore. No, she's still there. She's very much there, but she's going through something really difficult that there are solutions to make it better as opposed to this is who she is now. That's really the message is that it's about having the conversation. It's about communicating and it's about finding those solutions together. Now, one kind of interesting caveat, and, and this has never been studied, and I would like to do this study, are women that loved sex, enjoyed sex, and had great sex before they went through menopause, and they're very eager to keep it going. And then they're the women that it really was never that pleasurable, even if they didn't have pain. It just wasn't that pleasurable. They didn't have orgasms. It wasn't something they enjoyed. It wasn't something they looked forward to. So they're just as happy when they can take that off their to-do list. And is that and, kind of anecdotally what you've observed in your practice? Anecdotal, really? Totally anecdotally. And because when someone says, I don't, you know, really want to do anything about it. And I'll say, well, did you ever enjoy sex? And they'll go, no, you know, mm. something I just, I did because it was expected and he wanted it. And one of the things for, for men to explore is, okay, let's think about how much pleasure was she having before menopause? And under the theme of it's never too late to say, you know, did you used to have orgasms when when we had sex? Because as I know from my my podcast on faking it, a lot of women are faking it. Yes. And and men, too. But but and if she says, no, I didn't. This is an opportunity to say, OK, well, it's time that you start having orgasms and let mm -hmm. me help you with that. So mm -hmm. there are many, many couples that late in life do find a new beginning. To that point, 50% of the population is single and we see a lot of new relationships. And I cannot tell you how many women will say to me, you know, I never much cared for sex, 
and I'm 55 years old and I'm divorced and I met this new guy and oh my God, Gangbusters. what yeah. I've been missing for the yeah. last 30 years. So it doesn't have to be a new partner. You know, I always say, when I say to people, what does HRT stand for? And they say hormone replacement therapy. And I know it's like, no, it's husband replacement therapy <laughs> because sometimes that's really what somebody needs. Sometimes, yes. Yes. But having said that, if you like the husband, mm -hmm. if you like the current guy and you don't want to get rid of him, it's just your sex life is nothing special. That doesn't mean that you can't change that, even if it's never been special. Mm -hmm. And the other thing also that people need to know is that there's no expiration date on a vagina. If you go through perimenopause, menopause in your late 40s or 50s, and now you're 65 and you say, you know, well, it's too late. There are cobwebs in there. Nothing's going in there. It's never too late. I, I have had women in their 70s, 80s who were able to have penetrative sex. And the most important thing that needs to happen for that to happen is motivation. Right. If somebody says to me, this is something that is important to me mm. and I'm willing to do what I need to do to make it happen, it can happen. Just to kind of loop it all together, as I'm listening to you in those last couple of minutes, I'm thinking again about um, self-education and really about candor and honesty, both with yourself and with your partner, which again, sort of, you know, the 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 lines can get a little blurry if there are yeah. other issues in the relationship or other issues with you or that you're your partner. But that sort of, you know, is motivating. It can be whether or not, right. you know, where keep you it land. positive, not negative. The yes. start of the conversation is you never want to have sex. Yeah. The start of the conversation is I would like it if we had more sex. Yeah. Very big difference. Very it's different. Difference. Conversation it's a huge difference. One is yeah. just, she gets defensive. Well, of course I never want to have sex. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's I've been in 30 years yeah. and it hurts. Why would I want to have sex as opposed to I would, I'm attracted to you and I would like to have more sex. Let's talk about why it's not happening and how we can make it happen. Uh, Dr. Stryker, you're just a gem. This has just been a fantastic conversation. I'm so grateful. I know you mentioned that you're working on another book and there are studies on your mind. Is there anything other than the other book that you would want us to know and look out for? Where can we find you and so on? Well, I'm doing a number of projects right now that I'm very excited about. One, of course, is uh, is the book that I'm working on. The second thing is I've got two surveys that people might want to participate in. And one is a survey I'm doing on the use of cannabis mm. in menopause, because we know that a lot of women are using cannabis. They're not talking about it with their doctors. They're not getting a direction from their doctors. And um, and I'm trying to learn more about what are women's experience with cannabis? What are they using? How are they using? And, and what are the results of that? I'm sick of, of women being given bad information, dumbed down information, and no information. So mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to do here. I think those of us, you know, here in the community, we need good information we are able to make good choices for ourselves, but we need it to be good and correct and um, make sense. You are wonderful. I can't thank you enough for this time, this Saturday morning. You're incredibly busy and that you would have carved out an hour for us is, is uh, just, you know, I'm full of gratitude. I really enjoyed chatting with Rachel and appreciate so much that she agreed to share her episode with me. 
And for any guys that are listening, thank you. Thank you for wanting to understand perimenopause and menopause and stay tuned more on this to come. Thanks for joining me. You'll find lots more information in my Inside Information books available on Amazon.com. Go to drstriker.com to sign up for my free newsletter and follow Francie as she navigates her way through midlife, menopause, and beyond. 